Well, it is my great privilege and pleasure to introduce Pastor Josh Easton this morning. He is the executive pastor and also the youth pastor at C3 Robina. He has a beautiful wife and two gorgeous kids. He does, oh yeah, I think they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he also does, uh, he's also a very creative man. He does um, the website and design for church. Um, and, you know, Josh and his family are great friends of this church in Norwood. And it's been a great pleasure to see Josh over the years. And one thing I know about him is that he is an encourager. So be prepared to be encouraged this morning. Thank you so much, Josh. Can't wait to hear from you. Good morning, church. How are you doing? It is so good to be here. Oh, man. I, I've been looking forward to coming back for a long time. And um, actually, why don't you give the band a huge round of applause? Thank you guys so much for leading us in worship this morning. As I said, it's just been amazing uh, to be back. So have a seat, everybody, because we are going to get encouraged today. Absolutely. Thanks, Carmen, for that introduction. Um, a lot of love sent from my parents, so Pastor Don and Adrian Easton are the pastors of our church at Rabina on the Gold Coast, and so I have the, the pleasure of serving them um, in their church, and that is, it's just awesome. And it's good, it's good when you get along with your dad, uh, it's, good, it's good when you work with your dad and it works well, and it works well with us, so it's good, we, I, I'm, so I'm so thankful for that. But so Pastor Don, I think, preached like eight weeks ago here so um he said to to send the love because they just they just love you guys and i was going to come this morning anyway uh because i'm down and i was down in adelaide at my cousin's wedding yesterday and i told your pastor uh this like that, that i was coming here and he's like oh you got to come and preach and i i was just going to come along anyway so i would have been totally happy to be here and just enjoy your church because it is a beautiful church it is an you are you are amazing people and what you have here is uh, really unique and beautiful. And so I want to encourage you in that today and, and empower you in it to, to, to turn up the beauty of the church. And so we're preaching this morning on the, the beauty of the church. Would that be good? Now, I love Adelaide. I am an Adelaide boy. Uh, I moved to the Gold Coast when I was four, but on my passport it says Bedford Park. Born at, born at Flinders hospital and um I, I love this place and so i've got family all around the city and up into the clare valley and and uh, all around the place so i it just it just feels like home when i get when i fly into fly into adelaide and i can see the houses and the perfectly laid out city and the green grass in winter which is unusual because it's flipped on the gold coast it's dry in winter and it's so dry at the moment we're craving rain um, but coming in and just people look different here i don't know if it's people People are friendly here. It's the big small town vibe. It's a big small city vibe, or is the 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 big big town? But I don't know what it is. It, but you guys are amazing. There's a sense of community in Adelaide that just blows me away. There's some things in Adelaide that I that kind of frustrate me a little bit. Uh, water quality, for one. Uh, but it has improved a lot. So well done to you. Um, whoever's anyone working the water. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, other things that frustrate me is your conservative speed limits. Um, I get to the speed limit a little bit too quickly. And you're also your love for putting traffic lights on every corner. 
I, I punched in the GPS to get to Pasadena yesterday because I, I was a photographer for my cousin's wedding yesterday. And I was going from North Adelaide to Pasadena. And it was, it, Google Maps said 10Ks. And I was like, that's sweet. I'm going to get there in under 10 minutes because that's the Gold Coast rule. The Ks to, to minutes rule is, is pretty exact because you average out about 60Ks an hour. It said 25 minutes. And uh, so it took me, took me a long time. But what I love about the, that is that it cools you down. You see a lot of the city. You see things you never noticed before. And uh, you get to take in the beauty of the buildings. You have architecture. You have design. Generally, the design is, is good in Adelaide. Generally, the architecture is amazing. And so I, I crave that when I come here. I can actually see buildings, um, designed buildings, not just shanty shacks. Um, and, and yeah, gaudy skyscrapers. It's beautiful to come here and it's so nice. But, but one of the things I do love about Adelaide is your sense of community, is your sense of welcome, but also your sense of hospitality. You, and, and, but this church doesn't just stay at Adelaide level. It, stay, it goes well beyond it into a gospel level. And that's what I want to talk about today, the beauty of the church. Because, and, and, and the reason why this church has such great culture is that you've got such great pastors, isn't it? Like this church, I was just, I was just thinking about as I was preparing uh, what to share about today, thinking about what typifies your church, why I love coming back to this church. And it's been 10 years since I have, but some things haven't changed. The culture is still so rich. It's still so welcoming. It's still so family centric. It's still so, there's a sense of intimacy here. And there's a sense also of inclusion here. There's a sense of authenticity, which I love, that you are, you're real people doing real life, but open with each other. There's a sense of sharing. There's a sense of volunteerism where you're, you're happy to get in the trenches for one another. And I just want to celebrate that this morning. So let's open up our Bibles to 1, Corinth, uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 22. We're going to open to there and then to Psalm as well. I think we've got it up on the screen to make your job nice and easy and help you be a bit lazy this morning. Uh, so 1 Chronicles 22 and verse 5, David is getting to the end of his life. King David, uh, who wrote a bunch of the Bible, for those of you who have just come to know Jesus, he wrote a bunch of the Bible, a lot of songs. He was a worshiper. He loved God with all his heart. Um, the Bible says he was a friend of God. And, and he gets to the end of his life, and he, he realizes that he needs to build an incredible house for God, a temple, a church, a place where people could come and, um, and be amazed and in awe of how good God is, hear about what God would say to them, hear, hear about how to live life, how God would want him to to him them to live it and he gets to the end of his age and he says my son Solomon who became king after him is young and inexperienced and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all nations therefore I will make preparations for it so David made extensive preparations before his death Extensive preparations for an exceedingly magnificent church. The church must be beautiful because God is good. The church must be beautiful because God is worthy of it. The church must, we, like we as a church have a job, a duty, but also a pleasure and a joy of making this place magnificent so that people would come off the street and go, this is good. 
God must also be good. This place is so loving. God must be so loving. This place is beautiful. God must be so beautiful. This place, I feel at home. I must be at home in God's presence. This place is non-judgmental. And so I must have a, have a, have a seat in God's house, no matter what my background is. That's, that's our job as a church, is to make this place a beautiful place. And that's what this place is. A beautiful place. Let's open up to to Psalm chapter twenty. Sorry, let's go to Psalm eighty-four, one to two. Excuse my voice. I I talked a bit too much at the wedding yesterday. Actually, I might just read up here. That's easier. Uh, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Let's go to Psalm Psalm 27. It says this. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now, one of the things that sets this church apart from even Adelaide culture, which I love, is that you have both inclusion and you have intimacy. Now, this is unusual, and I want to let you know why first, and then I want to show you how we can build it even more. Intimacy and inclusion are almost seemingly opposites. It's, it's a bit of a contradiction. It's a bit of a, a juxtaposition. So you have on one side a club or another kind of community organization, maybe your friendship group, maybe even your family. You can be incredibly intimate. You can have a few besties, a few people who you'd like to pour your whole life out for. You're, you're not just talking shallow about movies and about the footy, even though it was a pretty good game on Friday night, right? Uh, that was pretty good. I was at the pub watching it with, with a palmy, chicken palmy, a glass of wine. It was awesome with my dad. Great. Okay, so we could talk shallow about our life, and, but, that's, but what we're talking about with intimacy, as I fall off the stage, is... Uh, we're going deep with people's lives. We're sharing our secrets. We're, we're getting deep with us. We're showing our fears and our hopes and our loves and we're, we're the thing that really matter to us. But on the other side, we've got a sense of inclusion where you're like, well, I'm just going to bring as many people into my life as possible. <clears throat> and, uh, but, we got, but what you find with that is that the more people you try and bring into your life, the more shallow your conversation will get. You, you, you understand what I'm talking about here? Like you've got all sorts of people from all different types of life, you've got all sorts of types of backgrounds, but because you don't know them very well, because you don't know their backgrounds or their history, you're not going to share deeply with them because there's a trust issue. Because you're going to be going, I, I don't know if I can trust you with my secrets. I don't know if I can trust you with the things that are deep down in my life. But over here, you might have one or two really close friends, your, your spouse, your spouse should be your best friend. And your spouse, your, 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 your best mates, and you will talk to them about the deep things of life, the deep issues. But the interesting thing about the church is that we're called to be both. We're called to be wildly inclusive, yet also wildly and deeply intimate with one another. And so it's, it's a beautiful picture for today's society because we live in such a disconnected world, don't we? Now, the co- complete counterculture to the church, and look, forgive me if I'm, I'm going to butcher uh, your, one of your true loves this morning, but social media does not help. Social media is, is the complete antithesis of this culture, of the deeply intimate yet inclusive culture. It tries to do it, though. 
Yeah, I have. I think at last count, and, and I lost count because it just didn't matter to me anymore because it didn't mean anything anymore. I think I had over 750 friends on Facebook. Go me. Now, they're friends, and I met them a while ago. I probably know some of you on Facebook. Now, just to be honest, we're probably not friends. We're just good acquaintances, or we, we saw one another at something once. Um, but I've got 750 friends. I've got, I'm wildly inclusive. I've got, I've got friends to show that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a worthy person. I'm a good person because I've got so many friends. Now, ask me how many people I'm really intimate with, and I think it's less than what, uh, less than 750. I think it's probably less than 500. Uh, I think it's well less than 150, which people say that that's kind of the, where you max out with how many people you can fit in your social network, 150 people. I think it's like three people. Oh, do, do, do the test. Like maybe, maybe I'm a little bit more introverted than you and you have five. Some of you have one and it's your cat. No. Uh, so, but Toby, um, there's, we don't have that many people we're intimate with, is it? do we? Because, because there's not many people that we really trust. And, and social media gives us the, the ability to connect with a, a wide range of people uh, on a really shallow level. So it's good for catching up with names, with, with key important with details and cat photos. But apart from that, we don't go really go deep. We don't really find the connection. Do you know that people are, are more depressed these days because of social media? They've actually done tests to see that the more you use social media, the, the more the rate, the more, more likely that you're actually going to get depression because of it. If you, just, if you just chip away at it, then you're not really susceptible to it. But the, as you, you look into other people's lives and you see the curated, the curated versions of their lives and compare it against yourself, you're going you're gonna to get depressed. You're like, oh, my life sucks. Also, like people, people are finding that because we are so able to connect with everybody, the stats show that we now connect with fewer people. So because there's potential for us to be able to connect with anyone over the other side of the globe, what it means is there's a global connection, but there's also a local disconnection. And so what, what you'll find is that you'll, you'll get up in the middle of the night, you'll have a, a message from someone from the States, and you'll be like, sweet, I've got a best mate in the States. You'll be chatting with them, and you'll be connecting that day with someone in Sydney, and then you'll be, having, you'll be connecting with someone on, in Perth, you'll be all over the place, but then... It, what it means is that you only have a certain amount of energy, a certain amount of bandwidth, emotional bandwidth, to be able to donate to your friends. And so you, <clears throat> so you use it all up on people who aren't in, even face-to-face, -face, and it d detracts and diminishes the community that you have in front of you. It's breaking up marriages. It's breaking up friendships. Uh, if you use it, it's a tool. I'm like, it's not the devil. Uh, it's a tool that can be used to break up things. And, and if we don't treat it wisely as a tool, if we don't treat it as, as, a, as something that we use rather than you, it using us, then we're going to cause our relationships to suffer and cause the church to, to feel at arm's length. So guard what you have. You meet face to face. You get in, into people's faces and you talk about the real things of life. And you want to you guard that intimacy that you have as a church. Isn't that a good thing, church? Because the church is precious. God wants relationships. God wants you deep in relationships. God wants to, to, to know you and be known by you.
And God wants you to find a sense of knowing, a sense of family, a deep sense of connection that isn't, isn't fickle, that isn't put at arm's length with a barrier of technology between it, but it's face-to-face, it's in communion, it's round the table, it's a feast, it's family together. Mum and Dad uh, always just bred this, this thought into me that the best and the most important time of the family day is around the table at night. It's around the table in the morning. It's making sure that there's time together where you can eat and laugh. You can just de-stress. You can um, deconstruct the day and you can actually just connect with one another. Make sure you're here every week for church. Make sure you're there every time at Connect Group. When you miss a Connect Group, it's not just you missing out, it's everybody else missing out as well. When you, when you don't turn up to Connect, when you don't turn up to prayer, someone lacks faith because you didn't give it to them. There's a responsibility on all of us to be building and sheltering the church. Don't just leave it, leave it to the five people who are on stage to cause a, 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 an atmosphere of worship on Sunday, but leave it to you at the back row. It's our whole participation in this that makes the church beautiful. It's our whole participation in this church life that makes the community strong. Not just your pastors who are unbelievable people, honest and loving and integrous and just genuine amazing people who who have mentored so many of you. But take their model, let's do the same. How many people could be impacted by the beauty of this church if we don't just leave it to those in leadership positions, but everybody takes a responsibility on themselves to make this place beautiful? Let's go for inclusion and intimacy. Let's be a church that has open doors, but also deep and meaningfuls in the kitchen. Let's be a community that just, just loves people so much, but, but wants to connect them in a deep way. And trusts enough that they will do that. But, but that's a high calling. That's a big job. Can you, can, you, can you think about how we could do that? To be on one hand wildly inclusive and opening up our doors more often, but, but also still having time for deep friendships. And transitioning those people through the door into our home, through into the living room, through into the kitchen where we could have a, a good deep conversation. That's a tough thing. And, and I think if we were to be honest, it's scary and it sounds exhausting. Because I could rah-rah you up. I could, I could pump you up today and say, good, this week, three people, bring them into your home. Coffee next week, beer the next, connect with people. Let's, let's see how many people we can connect with, random strangers, people at the pub. Let's just go on. We, I could... I could champion you to do that but I think what we'd find is that we'd also we'd get so exhausted because life is hectic life is busy and life is is tough and also it puts a lot of weight on us because we're, we're, we're trying to bring them into an intimate place but we're not sure if we want to be intimate with them like we want to bring people into a place of deep family but you know that families families are born not just made and if they're made through adoption or through marriage, they take time to develop. Not every relationship is just a spark. I love those best friend sparks. Those, those times where you can start a conversation, it feels like you've been best mates for a long time, but they're rare. They're not often. They're not the everyday. So how? How do we take our, our hearts and, and open them wide to people, yet also trust enough to be deep with them and share deeply and, and pour our lives into, li- into lives, trusting that their hearts, w- hearts won't get broken. 
So I want us to consider Jesus this morning. Now, before I get to Jesus, because I think this is this is the key. I want to. I I uh, so I shot my a uh, shot. I mean, um, I photographed. Yeah, I took my sniper to my cousin's wedding. <laughs> it was awkward. <laughs> um, I sat up on a grassy knoll. And we took some photos. And it was a beautiful day yesterday, actually. I don't know who was praying. I don't know if it was just that God shines on weddings, but the forecast often lies when I'm going to shoot a wedding. Um, we get a wake up in the morning and the forecast says rain and wind and it's sunny and it's beautiful. And like God shines. God loves, God loves marriage. God loves men and women getting married. He does. He puts his blessing on it. And so, uh, but we're, Oh, I don't know where I was going with this. Yeah, that's right. So I was, I was driving. I got to drive my cousin in a golf buggy around the golf course at Mount Osmond uh, yesterday. And uh, the groom, I don't know why the groom didn't want to drive. Anyway, beside the point. Uh, so <laughs> the groom was in the other cart with the, the, the golf rep who was helping us, showing us around the course to make sure we didn't get hit in the head with a golf ball. And But I got a time, some time to, to talk with my cousin and she said look thanks so much for taking photos of us today and I'm like this is not a problem it's actually the most fun job that I could possibly think of doing that day I wouldn't want to wake up at 6 a.m and do makeup I wouldn't want to have the stress of organizing flowers uh, I wouldn't want to like I do love being the celebrant but there's something about capturing the beauty of the day admiring of sitting and just watching the beauty happen and, and I said to her, it's just so easy because of all the people in the world I could photograph, I'd rather do weddings because there's nothing more beautiful in the world than a bride in love. There's nothing more beautiful in the world than someone who is just passionate about something. Like whether it's your, your, thing, your new cafe that you found and you want to tell everybody about it, whether it's the, the new the partner that you found that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, or something trivial or important, there's nothing more amazing or attractive in someone than love, than passion. And so I think it's amazing. I, I just such, it's a, just such a treat to be able to spend the whole day with a bride and groom and watching their love. It, it's, it does something to me. It does something to those people who were in the, in the room yesterday with tears in their eyes because they could see that the love was genuine and real. In that moment, people were bonded together on a deep level because they had a common love. In that moment, people linked arms and were, were connected in a way. They, they opened their arms to one another because they were sharing the same experience. Now, that's the picture that the Bible gives of the church, the bride of Christ. He says, Paul says in Ephesians that, that we are like the bride of Christ. We're like a bride getting ready because we are so in love with our God. That Jesus is coming back for his church, not just to be friends, but to be a, a deeply intimate and loving with. That God is going to come and serve the church and lead the church. A picture of God's incredible love for us, but also it's a picture of our identity. That we are like a bride. Now, I think that's a bit weird as it's, it's hard for me as a bloke to go, we're like a bride. But even David in Psalm 27, one of the most manly guys in the Bible, incredible warrior, says, like, I just long to be in his house gazing at his beauty. Like, I, I want you to, to, just, to get past your high testosterone this morning any man, just keep your high testosterone. You need that. That's important. But 
But, but, but David here is going, look, I am so in awe of who God is. I'm so blessed by, by what God is. I just want to sit with him. I think that'd be the most precious thing to do. And just like you, on the day you were married, like I, I if it was like you, I, I hope you were like this. I stood in front of my wife and the whole world fell away. Like, there, were, there were hundreds of people in the room. It was packed. Uh, all the tickets were sold. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> all the people were paid to be there too. And it was, but I didn't, I don't remember them. There were, I look at photos now and go, and people tell me that they're at my wedding. I'm like, I, I have no idea. I've got no idea if you were at my wedding or not. They could just say that and I'd believe them. Um, I just remember my wife. And just like that, David's in the house of God, the temple of God. This is the house of God, the dwelling of God, the church. He's in there and he's going, God, this is, where I want to, this is where I want to be. This is my default for life. This is where I want to come back to when things are tough. This is where I want to come back to for protection. This is where I come for hope. This is where I come for encouragement. This is where I come for peace. This is where I come for joy. This is where I come for faith. This is where I come for a sense of purpose and future. This is where I come for satisfaction and meaning in my life. I don't want to go anywhere else. There are options in Adelaide. There's things to do. But this is where I want to be. And there's the, a, a beautiful passion in that. The bride is only as beautiful, though. So there's nothing more important. No, sorry, nothing more beautiful in the world than a bride in love. But what makes the bride beautiful? The lover. The reason why a bride is beautiful is because she is loved. God loves his church. God adores his church. God gave his life up for his church. God has gave his life up for you. Now, in these two things, that, that God, that, that nothing more beautiful than the church in love, than the bride in love, and there's nothing more beautiful. So the thing that makes it beautiful and in love is that it was loved first. Here's our key for how we can be wildly inclusive, yet also deeply intimate. God loved us so we can love like him. Because God would be wildly inclusive with us, we can be deeply, or we can be wildly inclusive as well, but we can be deeply intimate with him and with other people. There's a scripture that's so profound to me in, in one of the first few chapters of John. And John writes that Jesus didn't give himself over to them because he knew what was in the hearts of man. I stopped on that one day and it was just, it was, it was startling because I realized right then I just went, well, he did in the end give his life over to people. He did give himself up to him. But the other thing that struck me was that God was able to be there in that moment. Jesus came to earth knowing what was in the hearts of people. Excuse me. <clears throat> Shush. He came to earth and he knew what was in our hearts. And he was standing before these people and he must have debriefed with John afterwards and said, look, I, it's not my time yet, but I know what's in their heart. Or maybe John... Could have, John had a sense, I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of God and just had a sense that he was reading you. Or you know those friends who are just in, incredibly insightful and they can see right into the depths of your soul. It's like Jesus was like that. He, he, could, he read everybody. Like an open book. And I mean, he, he planned out every day of our life. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows us intimately. 
He knows the depths of our hearts. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our deepest longings, our deepest desires. He knows our worst fears, and he also knows our worst sins. Now, on on the picture that for the moment, you standing before a guy who doesn't just read your palm, he doesn't just read your eyes, he doesn't just read your mind, but he reads your heart. That's a scary and confronting place. There's moments in my marriage where as we get to know each other, as we, as we get deeper in levels of intimacy, and I reveal another layer, and there's, there's almost this, like, it's kind of it's awkward, your marriage night. It's kind of weird when you first take off your clothes in front of your partner. It's, it's right. It's weird. Um, some of you, it's been a little while since you've done that. So just, just rem- you can remember those feelings. It was a weird moment. But every time we, we uncover a new layer about ourselves, there's always a little moment of going, what are they going to think? What's going to happen to the, the, the amazing culture that we've already set up? What's going to happen to the amazing life that we've already had so far? We've got this deep trust already, but is the trust enough for what I am just about to reveal to my partner? And every time you go through a tough situation with your marriage or you're fighting a fight together or against each other and you reveal a new fear or insecurity or anything, there's always a moment where you catch yourself and go, oh, brace for impact. Jesus doesn't have those moments with us. Jesus doesn't have a moment of going, oh, you did what? It's like, oh, flip. Why did I love you? It's like, why did I choose you? Oh, no, what have I done? Jesus sees you and saw you before he loved you. Well, even while he loved you. He saw the depths of you, the worst, the ugliest. The Bible says that like at the core of us, we've got hearts of stone, that our righteousness is like dirty rags, that no one's righteous, no, not one. Like he knows the depth of our hearts. We know that there's no one perfect here, right? Anyone perfect here, show our hands and you can leap. Uh, <laughs> we don't want you here. Um, but, but God knew what was in our hearts. Yes, yeah, see what he does. See the love of the Father that, that he would call us sons of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his only son knowing what was in our hearts. He knew that we would hand him over to be betrayed and crucified for our sins. Not for our sins, just for our amusement, really. But God did it, designed it for our sins. God did it knowing what would happen. He did it knowing what was in our hearts. He knew it knowing that we weren't worthy of being in relationship with him, but he did it because he loved us. It's like, Wow. If that isn't enough to get the bride of Christ excited and full of love and ready to be wildly inclusive, then I don't know what would. That God brought me in means that God could bring anybody in. If God could bring me in, then God is an incredibly powerful and loving God. So therefore, there is no one who is too far away from the love of God. There's no one who we couldn't say we can be wildly inclusive with you because we know that God brought us in through the same gate, the gate of grace. But also we know that because our lives are in God's hands, we can also be deeply intimate with one another and with God. Consider the trust that that we can have with God because he is so good. He's not only infinitely loving, but he's also infinitely powerful and trustworthy.
Marriages are built on trust, aren't they? Relationships are built on trust. If you betray trust, it's a, it's a knife into a marriage, taking a sledgehammer to it. If you do something that betrays the, the trust of your best friend, if you, you slander or gossip behind their back, it's going to bring your friendship down and it's going to crumble. Now consider this, that the Bible talks about our relationship with God, humanity's relationship with God, maybe even your relationship with God today. That we love God, but yet we walk astray. All have sinned and walked astray. It's like that's a picture of us turning our backs on God and, and walking away from Him. When you realize that if God is willing to be not just, not just on the first instance welcoming us into His family and saying, Your, My grace is sufficient for you but also on the times when we would stuff up and sin and walk away from him, choose to do what is wrong, choose to walk and, and, and walk in ways that aren't worthy of his grace. If we choose to betray him, God's grace is sufficient for us if we would come and repent to him. It's like who's, who's betrayed the trust of a good friend? You know how that feels? Or, or had, had their trust betrayed? You know how that feels. Yet God in that moment is not wanting to cut you off, but his love is persistent and consistent. It's not just a spark at a marriage, but it's a whole marriage. He is more committed to your relationship with him than you are. He is more committed to this place being beautiful than even we are. That is the persistence of God's love. It's like that is the beauty of the church, a beauty of, of incredible inclusion, yet deep immersion and intimacy because that's how God loved us. So the way that we would cause this culture that you've got in your church to just not just stay where it's at, but to boost, to grow, to be have the doors even wider, to be like Isaiah says, stretch forth your tent curtains, make it wide, make it, make it big, make it ready for more people to fit in. The way we do that is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord is to be like a bride in awe of its God, is to be so blessed and so fired up and passionate and full of love like a, like a wife on a wedding day that people would notice our passion, they would notice our love for our God and notice how unique this inclusive immersion is, that they'd just want to be involved. The early church, uh, one of the... One of the um, the theologians, one of the, doc, uh, the historians documenting the early church were blown away uh, and because of the, inc under the incre incredible persecution that the church was under where the threat of death was incredibly real, like, much like many of the churches in the Middle East at the moment. If you're a Christian, you've got a, you've got a bounty on your head, basically. So even though there was an incredible persecution, the community of the church, much like this one here today, was deeply family-based, deeply communal. They shared their life with one another, but also there were people on the outside clambering to get in, risking life to join a community that made them feel good, made them feel well again. God sets the lonely in families. God loves to bring others inside. Now, I'm, I, I am so convinced of this, that what you've got right now is not going to stay the size you've got. 
The connect groups you've got need to grow and have room. Your teams need to grow and, and have room. Your ministry center needs to grow and have room. I, I love the shift that you've made in your wording with your vision builders going from building to, to locations, from having to, to expanding your thought to influencing more of this great city. Because just as Adelaide has something to teach the Gold Coast in terms of a sense of community because we're so flaky and flighty, your church has something to share with this community. You're going to find lost people coming home. You're going to find lonely people bring, coming in. At the start of two chronic, uh, so 1 Chronicles 22, where David says, we need to make this house exceedingly magnificent. At the start of his first command is gather up the aliens. Assemble the aliens, church. Bring them together. Bring in, not the aliens, you know, people who, people who feel like they don't belong here. Bring in the people who are isolated and lonely. Give them family. Show them what they've been missing. Assemble the aliens, church. That'd be what first encouragement. The second one would be to arm them with tools. There's a second thing that that uh, that David says to that David says he must do. He, first he needs to assemble the aliens. Next he, he says he needs to give them tools. What would be incredible is that every one of you who serve who doesn't serve, get in and serve. Get in and participate in the life of the church. Anyone who doesn't lead someone else in discipleship, why don't you share what you've learned so far with somebody else and bring them along the journey? You don't have to be a pastor to do that. You just have to be one step in front of the other person. And if we all line up like a, brunch, uh, like a row of ants, we'll get there. It's like, why don't you take someone who's just behind you? You've just learned to pray. Don't to pray. Teach somebody else. You've just been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Baptize somebody else in the Holy Spirit. You've just learned a great scripture Teach somebody that scripture. If you just learn how to read the Bible in a fresh new light, make sure you tell somebody about it. Let's help people along the journey of faith together. Arm them with tools. Let's get in and get involved. And let's be inclusive and immersive. Let's be people who are just wildly bringing people into our lives and trusting that God did the same for us so he can do the same for them. And at the same time, let's be, let's be taking steps of faith, trusting that God is leading them on the same journey that we are. God is good. There are incredibly good days for this church ahead. And I want you to, I want you to be a participant in what God is doing here at C3 Norwood. Why don't we stand to our feet? Lord God. One thing we ask, Lord, one thing we seek, is that we would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We would gaze upon your beauty. We would seek your face. My God, that's the cry of our hearts this morning. God, you are the pinnacle of our lives. God. Or like the groom or bride we look to you as our our hope god i pray that in this moment the whole world would fall away and you would meet with people face to face you know you, you may be here today and you've never met 
Jesus. You've heard us tell you today that he is, a, he is God. You've heard us tell you today that even though you didn't deserve it, he loved you with an everlasting love. You've heard us tell you today that he wants to know you and he wants you to know him. So what are you waiting for? In this moment, with every eye closed, here's an opportunity for you to come and meet this God. He wouldn't just stop at loving you from a distance, but he would move out every obstacle, every obstacle of things you've done wrong, of a guilty conscience, past mistakes and regrets. He'd remove every obstacle of you not feeling worthy or not feeling good enough. And he would break through it all. He'd be Emmanuel, God with us. He'd come and he'd break into your world. He say, forget about all of that, all of the rubbish that would keep you at arm's length from me. Don't put up a barrier between me anymore. He says, because I paid the ultimate price for you, I want to be close with you today. God is before you. Jesus himself before you with arms open to you. So whether you're near or far, you can approach him. Now, if you want to come to God this morning, then I want to lead you in a prayer of belief and of a giving of our lives to him. So where you are right now, everyone's going to pray this prayer. And I want you to pray it, even if you've prayed this kind of prayer a million times, I want you to pray it like it's your first time. I want you right now to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And let's pray this together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you gave your life for me. Thank you that you love me infinitely. Thank you that you chose me. Thank you that you make me new. Thank you that you gave up life so I could have life. I am sorry for everything I've done wrong. Every time I've betrayed you. And I thank you for forgiveness in Christ. Help me to live for you and fill me with love like a bride in front of a groom. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe it's a, it's a feeling like coming back to God, that you've prayed it once before, but you feel like you've been distant, you want to come back to him today, then I want to pray with you down the front. I want you to be bold and courageous, and I want you to come and join me down the front. We're going to have a time of praying for people as the band leads us in worship. Why don't the band come? I'd love you to sing Breathe, actually. Yeah? And church, I want us to spend this, this time of worship gazing upon the beauty of God, considering how incredible He is. And if there's, there's specific needs in your life right now that you are you are needing God to shift, then I would like to be able to pray with you and the pastoral team would pray with you as well. I invite the pastoral team to come and 
Come and join me. But let's, let's build this church. The house of the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent. When you picture that, what's that like? Is that big connect groups? Is that fun meals together with friends? Is that vibrant prayer meetings? What your picture is that God's putting in your mind, why don't you go and do it? Why don't you grab a mate and go and do it together? Let's make this church a beautiful place, even more magnificent and wonderful. Let's make it worthy of the goodness of God. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Let's lift our hands and let's worship God in this song.